You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Let us pray together. Sovereign Lord, you have been our hope and our confidence. From birth we have relied on you. You have brought us forth from our mother's womb. Even before then, you tell us that you chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. In love, you predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with your pleasure and will. In view of your glorious grace, our mouths are filled with your praise, and we shall declare your splendor all day long. God of all comfort, we lift up our brothers and sisters among us who are hurting and troubled. We pray for those who are struggling with anxiety or depression or loneliness. We pray for those who are struggling now with financial pressures or relationship strains. We pray for those who are struggling with illness or loss. Come quickly, God, to help them. Come to our aid and do not be far from us. In you, Lord, we have taken our refuge, for you are the rock of refuge to which we can always go. Though sometimes you have made us see the troubles, many and bitter, We trust that you will restore us from the depths and you will comfort us once more. We have tasted your love and faithfulness and we know that your grace is sufficient for us for your power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, we declare in faith with your servant Job, though you slay me, yet will I hope in him. Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, do not forsake this church, but see to it that it shall be established in full maturity. Utilize and mobilize the Aspera Church to declare your power to the next generation your mighty acts of redemption to all who are to come. Let no one here leave today without the free offer of everlasting joy in Jesus Christ. We especially pray now for all our visitors and friends today who have yet to truly experience this joy. Reveal yourself to them in a powerful and undeniable way. Some of us here have come with the heavy burden of guilt and the yoke of slavery to sin. Help us to flee to the one who can forgive us all our sins. Flee to the one who can cancel the charge of our indebtedness which stood against us. Flee to the one who can take away all our guilt, nailing it to the cross. 
Lord, grant us true repentance and faith, and let us turn to you so, God, that our sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come. Search us, God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Now, as we open up the Holy Scriptures to feast on your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit illuminate your words to us and help this preacher to speak with all clarity, not to gain a reputation for eloquence, but for the edification of your church and to the glory of the one who redeems. Prepare the good soils of our hearts to receive and to retain your word so that it would bear much fruit. All this we pray in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if this is your first time visiting us, we extend our warm, warm welcome. And you've joined us in the right time. We are in the middle of our expositional sermon series through the Gospel of John. So please open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean? By a little while, we don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will see, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer use this kind of of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because 
You have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you not believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Now the first thing we notice in the beginning of this passage is the very tense and chaotic atmosphere among the disciples of Jesus, right? We find them restlessly asking each other, what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more? See, the context of this is this, that it's the eve before Jesus' crucifixion. In less than a few hours, Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, and tried, and sentenced to death. And in John chapter 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples, and these are like the words given to soldiers before the war. The final briefing before the storm. Something really big is about to happen, and the disciples can sense it. Jesus is telling them that he's going to leave them. In a little while, they won't see him anymore. He's telling them that persecution will come. A time is coming when they will be scattered, each to their own home. And so, what words of hope does Jesus have for his confused and distressed disciples? Well, in today's passage we read together, Jesus promises his disciples the three-letter word, J-O-Y, joy. What is joy? This is our topic today. What is joy? You may have heard preachers tell you this before. You may have heard pastors tell you this before, that joy is somewhat different from happiness. They say that joy and happiness is different because happiness is the shallow and worldly emotion based on our earthly circumstances, while joy is something superior, something more Christian. Well, I'm not one of those preachers because when I study the Bible, I don't see this distinction. Rather, the Hebrew and Greek words used to, the, to convey the meaning joy can also be translated as happiness, gladness, delight, rejoicing. These are synonymous words. And there is an awful misconception going around in our churches today that Christians ought to pursue holiness, Christians ought to pursue joy, but not happiness. And if you think today that God doesn't want you to be happy, 
I would like you to reconsider that as we dive into our passage today. And at the end of it, I hope that you will see what I see, which is that God desires for all His people to be supremely happy. You see, this is actually very important to God. It's very important to God that His people are happy because God is glorified in us when we are supremely happy in Him. God is glorified in us when we find our ultimate enjoyment in Him. God is glorified in us when His people are laughing and singing and dancing to His tune. What is more, our happiness and joy in the Lord makes the gospel that we preach that much more appealing and attractive to the unbelieving world. I do not know of a single great evangelist that was so poor and miserable, even in their poverty and suffering. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that a man can gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul. But the man who may have nothing, and yet has found Christ, has found the greatest treasure and joy everlasting. Folks, the gospel is good news. Do you believe that? It's so good that we cannot contain the joys to be found in it. And so A.W. Tozer says this. He says, The people of God ought to be the happiest people in the all-wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. End quote. And for the rest of our time together then, I want to highlight from our passage in our text today four distinctive qualities of this Christian joy that Jesus offers to all his disciples. Four distinctive qualities of the joy that Jesus offers all his disciples. Number one, the joy that Jesus offers overwhelms all sorrow. The joy that Jesus offers overwhelms all sorrow. If you look at verses 19 and 20, Jesus sees through the hearts of his troubled disciples, and he begins to tell them plainly what is yet to come. He tells them that times of grief and great sorrow are coming. What is he referring to? What Jesus here is referring to is the cross. In a matter of hours, literally in a matter of hours after this conversation, Jesus is going to be arrested. And the disciples are going to witness Jesus getting arrested, being beaten, and humiliated. In matters of hours, the disciples will witness the gruesome execution of their rabbi, and they will be left to stare at a dead corpse on a bloody cross. How unbearable must their sorrows be for a group of grown adult men to weep and mourn? 
their loss cut deep. The loss of their rabbi, the loss of a loved one, the loss of all their hopes and dreams. But in the second half of verse 20, if you look at there, Jesus promises this to them. He says, You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I want to pause here for a moment and address you. Perhaps you are weighed down by some kind of grief right now. And if so, I want you to listen carefully to these divine words. Again, your grief will turn to joy. Perhaps there is a dark cloud of sorrows hanging over you right now. The sorrow of loss, the sorrow of suffering, the sorrow of loneliness, the sorrow of hopelessness. But let me tell you this, behind that dark cloud, the sun is still shining bright. The Son of God can turn your grief to joy. You know, when I talk to a lot of young women, they tell me that they would like to become a mother one day. They want to have a baby one day. But I'm sure that most of them would love to skip the unpleasant parts of pregnancy, right? The, the morning sickness, the weight gain, the contractions, the nine months of carrying the baby, and then, of course, the agonizing labor of actually delivering the baby. But when she is finally holding her baby in her arms, she's not going to be thinking about all the pain that she had to endure. Because in that very moment, she is experiencing a joy that she has never felt before. Only a mother would truly know. You see, her agony becomes a memory in the distant past because of her newfound joy in her arms completely overwhelms the pains of pregnancy. And this is precisely the beautiful picture that Jesus uses to help us understand how the joy that he offers overwhelms all sorrows. Look with me to verse 21 to 22. Jesus says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so with you, now is your time of grief but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. You see, no matter how deep the disciples have sunk into their sorrows, when they see the resurrected Jesus Christ, who conquered the grave, their hearts will overflow with joy, as happy as a man can be. 
Because Jesus' resurrection secures the destiny of all believers. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And he tells us that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne declares, Behold, I make all things new. Brothers and sisters in Christ, think about this. In light of the resurrection of our Lord, in light of your destiny in the new heavens and new earth, your greatest sorrows now dwarfs into insignificance. Number two, the joy that Jesus offers is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. Look with me to verse 22. Jesus says, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. The joy that Jesus gives cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken back, and it cannot be reversed. Because the joy that Jesus gives is irrevocable, final, and permanent. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Jesus does promise joy, but he never promised you an easy and comfortable life. Free from all suffering. That's not what he promises here. The point is this. The point is that nothing and no one, no matter, no matter what happens, nothing and no one can take away the joy that Jesus gives. Think about this. Think about how the disciples of Jesus would go on to be persecuted, to be tortured, to be killed for their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Were the disciples of Jesus, were they miserable, poor, and pitiful people? Answer that question for me. Were they miserable, poor, and pitiful people? And the answer is clearly no. No amount of persecution, no amount of suffering took away their joy. I mean, their joy was contagious even after they died. And how about Jesus Christ himself? Was Jesus Christ a miserable and unhappy man? Think about it. Was Jesus a miserable and unhappy existence because of his sufferings? Then why would the author of Hebrews tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? It seems to me very clear that the joy that we share in Jesus Christ transcends our earthly sorrows and sufferings. It does. And if you're still not convinced, look with me to verse 33. Look at verse 33. 
Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You see, the Christian's joy is one, and it is secured by Christ's victory over sin, over death, over all forces of evil. Jesus has overcome the world. Now, some of you here might want to push back and say to me, well, Pastor David, how could I possibly experience joy and happiness in my trouble, in my suffering? I'm hurting. I'm hurting right now. I'm hurting a lot. How can you tell me to be happy? Well, let me tell you this. First of all, I'm sorry that you're going through that whatever it is. And I want to tell you that I have no intention to undermine your pain and your hurt. I have no intention. Sometimes, God allows unbearable pain and sorrow in your life. Sometimes the troubles and sorrows of life can feel like falling off a high cliff. It can be a frightening and just a horrific experience. But if you know that at the bottom of that cliff, there is clear water for safe landing. If you know that, the fall can strangely become a breathtaking and thrilling experience. Do you know what I'm talking about? Friends, if you trust the promises of God in Jesus Christ, you will not fall to your death, but you shall live because you're immersed in the bottomless depths of God's grace. And this is the paradox of peace and joy in suffering. And so hear me out. If you're suffering, if you're hurting, the solution to your sorrows and emptiness is not to drown yourself more in temporary pleasures of this world. It's not. If you ultimately depend on your friends, your your family, your career, your money, your hobbies, romance, sex, entertainments, or substances for, for your joy, That is a joy that can easily be taken away. Easily. That is a joy that is fleeting and passing away. Nothing in this world can give you the all-satisfying and everlasting joy that our souls truly crave. But if you seek something more, if it is the never-ending joy that you seek right now, you must go to the source, the only monopoly of everlasting joy. 
The psalmist tells us in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Number three, the joy that Jesus offers is reinforced by answered prayers. The joy that Jesus offers is reinforced by answered prayers. Look with me to verse 24. 24. Jesus says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. This is a promise of answered prayers. And the result of answered prayers is the completion of our joy and joy in abundance. Now, our prosperity gospel alarms are, are ringing, isn't it? Pastor David, can I really ask for anything from God and God will give it? The obvious answer is no. If you ask God right now for a million dollars to fall from the sky, you're probably wasting your time. But the qualification that Jesus gives us is this. Ask in my name. In Jesus' name. It's not a mantra or a tagline. Praying in the name of Jesus means that we pray in correspondence with Jesus' character and objectives. When a believer prays in Jesus' name, They seek and submit to His Lordship, to His will. Believers are united to Christ, and they pursue more oneness with Christ. They seek to have the mind of Christ and to surrender to the Spirit of Christ. They seek to know the Word of Christ and further the glory of Christ. And then, When we pray in the name of Christ, we are to ask for what Christ would want. Not just for our own spontaneous desires. And so all this to say, if you pray consistently with the purpose of the Lord for your life, you will experience the abundant supply of heavenly blessings and it will fill your heart. I guarantee it. It'll fill it with joy. But it's not just God's gracious answer to our prayers that fills our hearts. It's much more. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we start treating prayer and praying to God as a duty, as a chore, it can feel quite boring or tiresome. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But when praying to God feels like talking to your lover, then I think you've begun to understand something. You've begun to understand that prayer is the sweetest time of communion. To be in the presence of the Lord and to get more of Him. 
One blind preacher by the name of William W. Walford from the 1800s, he truly understand the joy of prayer. You know, he may have been blind and can't see, but he surely has seen and tasted the sweetness of prayer. And he captures it in this beautiful hymn for us to sing. He writes this, Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare. By thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. The joys I feel, the bliss I share. Of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return, with such I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows his face and gladly take my station there and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Number four, the joy that Jesus offers is a relationship with the heavenly Father. If you think about it, after verse 23, verse 23 onwards to the end, count how many times Jesus uses the word pater, father. He uses it a total of six times. I think he wants us to tell, tell us something to us about the father, which is quite fitting. And today is Father's Day, isn't it? For those of you here who maybe don't have a father anymore or have a strained relationship with a father, I want you to know that God is the father of all the fatherless. And this word is for you. Look at verse 23. He says, Very truly I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When we pray, and when we come before the, the Holy Father, we do not come with our own merits, our own righteousness, we do not. But we come to the Father in Jesus' name, and with, with Jesus' merits and His righteousness. And it's through Jesus Christ that Christians have access to the Heavenly Father. What grace, what privilege. But that's not all, folks, that's not all. There's more. Jesus expounds further. Look at verse 26 and 7. Like, this is fascinating to me. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, In that day, you will ask in my name, 
I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Like, I find this so fascinating because Jesus wants His disciples to know that when they ask from the Father, something, in Jesus' name. It's not as if Jesus is asking His Father a favor for a stranger. It's not as if Jesus is asking His Father on behalf of an acquaintance, an outsider. The only person who dares to wake up the King in the middle of the night for help. Who could that be? The only person who dares to wake up a king in the middle of the night for help is a child of the king. And we have this direct and personal access to the king, the king of all kings. For Jesus says, the Father Himself loves you. He loves you. The Father Himself loves you. Folks, if you don't have a father right, right now today on Father's Day, if you don't have a, if you have a strange relationship with your father, I want you to know this. Be encouraged by this. The Heavenly Father is the Father of all the fatherless. You see, sin has separated us from God and destroyed our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible teaches that we became enemies of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ has come to reconcile sinners to the Father. He gave Himself up as a sacrifice of atonement. He can cleanse you. He can remove you of all your guilt and shame. He can restore you to, the, to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so friends... If you don't know this, Father, today, this free offer is yours right now. To all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Do not delay, friends, and draw near to Christ today. For joy everlasting awaits. I began with this quote, and I end with this quote, A.W. Tozer. The people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. Do you agree? The people of God ought to be the happiest people in the all wide world. 
And people should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. Dear Christian, you have a peculiar joy and happiness that the world does not know. The joy that Jesus offers overwhelms all sorrow. The joy that Jesus offers is irrevocable. The joy that Jesus offers is reinforced by answered prayers. The joy that Jesus offers is a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so let us spend our lives to tell the world of this joy that they are missing and that they desperately need. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the joy that you offer us for free to all the people here in this room. You give us the right to become the children of God. Lord, my prayer right now is that every single person in this room will walk out here knowing that they have a Father, the Heavenly Father, today, this Father's Day. And we pray that, God, that you increase our joy and remind all the believers here that their joy can never deplete and never be taken away. And so, Father, we pray that you would sustain us this week, that you give us joy everlasting. Pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.